0: It's great to be here today, and uh, I love that we're on a series at the moment. Pastor Greg introduced you guys, if you were here last Sunday. Uh, He introduced us to this new series, God at Work. And I love that we're doing a series uh, of God at Work, because over the next few weeks, we're going to be digging deeper uh, and get really practical, which I think will be just a blessing for everyone here uh, because all of us are in different spheres of life, uh, working in different places, trying to live uh, a kingdom life wherever we go. And uh, the hope is over the next couple of weeks you'll be empowered and equipped uh, as best as we can to really encourage you to live the kingdom in your workplace. Uh, why is this important? Because how many of you know that God cares about your whole life? Do you know that? It's actually a really, uh, it's something I think we know in our mind but I think even today, just encouraging us to believe that actually God does care about every part of your life. Um, there's, a, there's a little article that a guy named Mark Green, he's the executive director for London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. He challenges the view that singing in church on Sunday, doing missions, uh, going to prayer meetings and home groups are the only thing that are important to God. Um, They are important to God, let's be honest. Doing all those things, participating in the life of God's community is incredibly important. But he challenges the view that the rest of our lives are kind of subpar to that, as though there's some kind of hierarchy of the things that matter to God, and then there are things that don't really matter to God. And so there's this sort of what he calls this uh, sacred-secular divide that can exist, this divide between the things that we think matter to God, and then the rest of our lives are kind of secondary to those things. And I love that he challenges those things. Um, and I feel like as we go, we may talk a little bit more about that specific thought over the next few weeks. But I love that there's this idea, particularly now, that uh, you know, in order to please God, you don't have to go to the missions field to become a pastor. God bless you if God calls you into those roles. They're phenomenal and they're important and part of the kingdom of God. But that recognizing that God does care about all of our lives... And that's kind of why we're looking at this sermon series, I think, over the next few weeks is just to encourage you that uh, every part of your life matters, and that includes your work life. Last week, Pastor Greg gave some statistics. I'm not going to share them all. Uh, He talked about how many hours we spend in our life sleeping, how many hours we spend in our car driving, and so on and so forth. And it's good to break down our lives a little bit and see that uh, there is a lot to our whole life there's a lot of hours and a lot of days and uh, he landed on the quote that around 25 to 35 percent of your life will be spent at work that's incredible statistic how many of you know our work might matter to God a little bit don't you think how we spend our time at work where we're working those kinds of things may be an important conversation Mark Green, this guy who I quoted from, I'm going to quote from him now, he quotes a lady who uh, sort of shared a lament, and maybe you can identify with this. This is what the lady said. I spend an hour a week every Sunday teaching Sunday school, and they they bring me up the front and they pray for me before every Sunday school service. The rest of the week, I'm a full-time teacher, and the church has never prayed for me once. She said, that says it all. And again, I don't think that's the intention of the church. is isn't a church-bashing thing, but I think there's this, in the past, has been this idea that what we do on a Sunday is so important, but the rest of the week is kind of subpar to that. But I think we're beginning to realize that actually our whole lives matter to God. Because God says, uh, God created everything. Colossians 1 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, thrones or powers, rules or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. All things were created by him and for him. It goes on to say that everything was created for God, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So I think as we go into this series, and we want to just challenge the view that our work life is less important but it constitutes a part of our whole life which matters to God and is a blessing. So talking about you being at work and being equipped to be who you are at work, I think is an important conversation, and that's where we're going to be going. Today, before we get deeply practical over the next few weeks, and because my heart is deeply for the church, it really is. I have a heart for God's church, Um, and I feel like that's what God has placed me in this role I want to add another layer to the conversation and allow it to be something that we can build on with practical things over the coming weeks. So I think today, guys, if you want to know my direction a little bit, I felt really burdened for the church this week and felt really burdened for you. And before I just got into nitty gritty about how to be a Christian at work, I felt like I just needed to add another layer to the framework, if that makes sense, for us to maybe be a frame of reference to come back to as we explore some of the practical things. So I'm hoping that today we can lay a bit of a foundation of thought before coming into the the weeks ahead. So before we start, I feel like we need to pray. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we pray. Let's just honor God with our bodies by standing uh, before him. And I'm actually going to invite you. Don't worry, I'm not turning Anglican, um, but I would invite you to just recite the Lord's prayer with me. Would that be all right together? He's given us those words. Why don't we pray his words this morning? And uh, if you know it, we'll go old school because I think that's the most common one. But if you've got your own version, pray. pray as though you mean it. Let's just pray together the Lord's Prayer if you want to raise your hands out as a way to just say, God, I'm ready to acknowledge you and receive from you today. And we're going to pray the words of Jesus. And he says this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And the church said? Good on you guys. Let's get ready to rock and roll. Grab a seat. And uh, we're going to get stuck into the Word of God today. And uh, like I said, my hope today is to set a bit of a theological framework. It was a little different than where my heart was going at the beginning of the week. But as I prayed and prayed and prayed God, uh, I again, just began to speak to my heart. So I'm hoping that I can communicate that well to you today. And we're going to be going old school. We're going to be going Old Testament on you today. Is that all right? We'll blend it a little bit. But, and if it's not all right, I'm sorry, but that's just what's happening. <laughs> so there's not much I can do. Uh, Pastor Greg mentioned last week in his introduction that we've been uh, looking through Timothy Keller's book, uh, Every Good Endeavor, as a a launch pad, really. So while we're not going to go through every single detail of his book and just preach his book, his book is a great framework and a great launch pad for us into some thought. So if you get the chance to buy the book and have a read through, it's a a practical read and it's really good. And we're going to use some of what he's suggesting to launch into. And uh, one of the chapters that he writes on is that work is dignity. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about where our dignity comes from to begin with. Because the dictionary says dignity can be described as the quality or state of being worthy. I want to talk about where our worth comes from a little bit today. Because I don't think our dignity so much comes from what we do. It comes from who we are. And then recognizing who we are will affect what we do. So I want to jump right back to the beginning in Genesis. The recognition that all of us were made in God's image. Genesis tells us that God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Creation account gives us this beautiful picture, this beautiful description that human beings came into existence through a special creative and intentional act of God. He creates the structures, land, vegetation, puts out the decorations, the stars, the moon, puts everything in order, and then he brings mankind into that. One of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, says, the key is that humans are made in the image of God. And bearing God's image is not just a fact, it's a vocation. It means being called to reflect into the world the creative and redemptive love of God becomes our whole life purpose in the garden is that as image bearers of God we were created in his image to be a reflection of who he is not only back to him but also to the world around us that was the intention of being made in God's image not only that we were made alive with the spirit of God what separates us in our creation account from the rest of creation is that God breathed his breath into mankind Genesis 2 says the Lord before the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and what did he do everyone say it that was kind of a half good go let's try that again together church what did he do breathed Come on, that's beautiful, well done. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put man whom he had formed. So not only are we made in God's image as a reflection to be an image bearer, reflecting back to God in worship, this beautiful goodness of God and also a reflection to the world around us, who God actually is. And that's what it means to be an image bearer. Not only that, what makes us alive is the fact that God breathed his breath into us. The Bible says in Job, it's the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty that gives them understanding. The human spirit is the lamp of the Lord that sheds light on one's most inner being. So to be human means that we're not the same as the animals. We have a unique distinctive in that we were made in God's image and we were given his breath to be alive. Our vocation as image bearers is to reflect this image back to the world and to God and to live fully human lives made alive by the breath of God. There are many subtle layers that we could pull apart in that, not to mention the fact that there is a wonderful purpose with the communal triune God. But for today, we want to establish that we are a reflection of God. We are a reflection of God's nature when we are fully alive as humans. Now we read Genesis, we all, many of us know this account. Many of us have said, Amen, yes, we're made in God's image. There's a creation account, it's beautiful. We say, Absolutely, this is good. But not often do we take a step back and recognize that this account was written for a specific audience, to a specific people. And when we step back and understand that piece, this becomes a really profound part of Scripture that's what I want to do really briefly right now, because it affects who we are. There's a lot of discussion around who, who wrote Genesis. And while a lot of theologians have conversation around it, there's a great consensus that Moses must have written at least some of it. Uh, and there are many theologians, and I agree with them, just so you know where I come from, that Moses most likely wrote Genesis 1 and 2, because it has an intention, There's a purpose for it. And I'm going to just say that today we're not going to argue whether it was literal creation and all that, like seven days as we know it. We can have that conversation another time. I'm not here to argue that. I just want to suggest that Genesis had an intention and an audience who needed to read that account. Not only us, I think it's important that we recognize that as well, but it was written for a people. And so I'm going to agree that Moses, because the New Testament quotes him as writing some of the Pentateuch. And uh, we know that Moses, even in the Old Testament, suggests that Moses wrote parts of it as well. But there was an audience that needed to hear this account because they didn't know who they, where they came from. Moses had been invited by God into God's great plan for deliverance. Do you remember the story? How he encounters God with the burning bush, encounters the presence of God, and when he ma- had that moment with God, Moses was delivered from his past. And then not only that, he was invited into a new story. And that story was to bring deliverance to God's people, the nation of Israel who were in captivity in Egypt. And so Moses goes on this incredible journey, bringing God's people out of slavery into new life. That is a message that permeates the entirety of the Bible, by the way. God's great deliverance from slavery into freedom. An entire nation of people were brought out of slavery and into a new journey. A new journey, a new life as a community of believers. But in the world, in Egypt, Israel was shaped and formed deeply by the world's systems. They had been living in exile, living in slavery, living in bondage in a world system that had begun to shape and form you. How many of you know the world shapes and forms us deeper than we realize? Because we live in a world and God's, Jesus is saying, you know, be in the world, but not of the world. But the challenge for us is there's a shaping and forming that happens because we exist in a world where we've been shaped and formed by so many different things, which we can't unpack today. But I just want to suggest that Israel, God's people, had lost their identity as a slave people in Egypt. And Egypt represents the world. Egypt represents all the systems that don't acknowledge who God is and glorify him. This people had been a slave people to this system and all of a sudden they're delivered. It's a great story. It's a phenomenal story. Why they celebrate the Passover? They retell this amazing miracle of being enslaved, not knowing who they were, not being able to worship God or have any identity, and then they were set th- free through a miraculous act of God, and they were set free into this new life, new story. And I can't even imagine the questions they must have asked: Who are we? Where are we going? Where are we come from? What's the meaning of life? What is this all about? but hear this, they'd been set free from their bondage, from their chains, their shackles, the the life, the day-to-day routine of slavery. But how many of you know that didn't mean they were gonna be free from the shaping and forming that had had taken place? Can you recognize that in your own life too? You know the moment you gave your heart to Jesus and then all of a sudden there was some stuff that still needed to get worked out of you? This is what happened with Israel. They had been set free, but there were still some things that needed to get worked out. God does that through the wilderness, journey because they didn't understand what faith and trust in God looked like because they were had faith and trust in a world system that was shaping and forming them they knew their day-to-day routine they knew their roles they knew they'd get whipped here or fed this they had a rhythm and a pattern that had shaped them and now they're in this new season where they had to learn who God is and how to trust him and have their story challenged and that was a whole nother journey for them And so in order to connect to their purpose and their national identity as God's people, how many of you know Genesis 1 and 2 provides a beautiful narrative to bring understanding and meaning to a people who had no idea who they were? You were made from the God who transcends time and space, who is absolved from all limitation. Out of his abundant creativity and out of his community, he creates you to be a reflection of who he is. Now, in the ancient world, this image-bearing idea was not uncommon, because in order to worship the gods, nations and cultures would carve idols to be a reflection of the God. And so this is Moses saying, hey, guys, you are that image that was created, that is placed in the temple of the universe to reflect who God is as an act of worship, You become this beautiful created being who is worthy, who is made in God's image to reflect back to him the goodness of God and to be a light to the world and then to go and tend to the garden. And not only that, you have the spirit of God that has been breathed into you that makes you alive and different from the animals. Because how many of you know as a slave, you're treated like an animal? Dehumanization happens when fundamental humanity is taken away and you are treated less than which is the challenge I have with Darwinism. Because Darwinism affected the way in which we even thought about races. Charles Darwin's cousin coined the term eugenics, which was about races of people, and that was in the early 1900s, and it's why we ended up with Nazi Germany. Because the belief that we could be more superior in our humanity than other beings in humanity, and then to take away those rights and treat them because we don't have a concept of who we are, where we came from, and what our purpose is. We begin to reflect ourselves like animals. But you see, these guys are coming out of slavery with no idea what it meant to be free people. And here is Moses, through God, recording to them this beautiful story that you were made for a purpose. As slave people, you actually can be free and I've delivered you to become fully human again and to be fully human is to be an image bearer of God. Isn't that good? Amen. There's a purpose. Now I say that because we read Genesis and say yes and then we start arguing about things around it. But we need to step back and recognize that God is doing an intentional work through this. Now we can fold ourselves into this story quite easily, I believe, because we were once in bondage to sin and death. God delivered us through an amazing intentional act on the cross. It sets us free. Delivers us from that power. I don't know if you can identify with this narrative, but I feel like we can. And one of the parts of our narrative is the new creation account in which Jesus not only takes our place on the cross, which we focus on, it is a true and important for he who knew no sin became sin so we might become the righteousness of God we know that Jesus took our place on the cross but more than that or folded into that as well not even more than that sorry I won't say that but as a part of that as well is the fact that he accomplished something on the cross what he accomplished was he defeated sin's power he defeated death's power where we were slaves in Egypt, he does a miraculous act and delivers us through the power of the cross that sets us free from sin and death. That's what I wanted to share in worship. So I wanted to get up and just encourage us today. that if you're Because sometimes in worship, I feel like there needs to be space for us to recognize the state of our heart. That we come as sinners. We come broken. We come being shaped and formed by the world where we go back into our slave thinking and our slave kind of... Culture and Jesus set us free from its power while we still sin, its power is broken, which means we are not exiled from God, we are free men and women. And I feel like that's an important message. And the power of Jesus in John 20 appearing to his disciples, and they had fear. We fear doesn't stand a chance when we stand in his presence. Jesus appeared, brings his presence to the disciples, and they were like, Oh my goodness, what's this? And Jesus says, Look at my hands and my side, look what I've defeated. And then he does something crazy, which I've talked about here before. He breathes on them. He breathes on his disciples. Where did we see man being breathed on for the first time? In Genesis. So Jesus comes and then he brings deliverance. He brings a deliverance story where he defeats sin's power, the death uh, that had gripped us through the power of the resurrection. And then he comes and says, I've defeated it. Now have the resurrected breath of God, the one that has won the victory. And he breathes on them. And he breathes on his disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit, for it is the breath of God that makes us alive. And then we read things like, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we realize that we can actually fold ourselves into this deliverance story that we read in Genesis. And while Genesis gives us a framework for where we come from, we look at this new creation account, we realize that God is in the business of doing this deliverance work. And then he says, so I was sent, guys. Now I'm sending you. Go in the power of the new life, new creation, delivered, set free, and go and bring deliverance. Like Moses, like Jesus, like he brought to us. He says, now go. I know this doesn't have much to do with work right now. I apologize, but I think it's a good framework for us to begin to wrestle in. When I was 20 years old, this is what took place. I was uh, not living for Jesus, that's for sure. I was, uh, uh, just finished my plumbing apprenticeship and I was working and I was feeling a bit depressed because meaning of life, all these things, right? I'm not gonna go right into all the details of my, my story, but I'd gone to church. Uh, there was a girl that I was dating at the time and she was discovering this Christianity thing and she wanted me to go to church. So you say yes to that. And so I went and I uh, sat in church, listened to this guy. It's like so many of you are listening to me today and I was half asleep thinking this sucks. I just wanted to go to McDonald's because I was hungry. And then at the end of church, uh, he does this little uh, altar call type thing, and uh, I found myself with my eyes closed, and then my arm was up. <laughs> it was crazy how God does that, man. So just showed it wasn't the power of someone's preaching. It was the power of the Spirit of God in that, and somehow God grabbed my heart, man, and I freaked out. I walked out of church. The girl I was with, like she was terrified. She was just looking at me. I was walking out, and she said, do you realize what you just did? And I was like, yeah, I think I just became a Christian and uh, I know I've told the story before here, but I went home and uh, I was sitting in my room. at so now I came under demonic attack, I won't lie. Like it was evil. I was living in a home and environment that wasn't healthy. I went to my room and I just came under deep, dark attack. And the first person I called was my mom because they're Christians. And I was like, mom, I became a Christian. And she was like, that's awesome. We've been praying for you ever since you were a punk at 13. <laughs> And so I was really impre- like, really happy to share that with her and then the, the mood lightened. But the point of the story was this, like I sat in my room that night and I was, I was, there was this intensity and I was pacing around my room and I was just like, I, I, one, I was just in shock that I now had this new identity as a Christian. I could, I could say I'm a Christian, but it was really weird and it didn't fit me and I was a bit awkward and walking around. And all my mates are out there in the lounge room doing their thing and I'm walking around my room and I had this burden, I'm not gonna lie. This is how I, there was a fruit to my salvation in my life that I can recall and recognize. And that was that straight away, by the time I got home, it was about one in the morning at this point. And all I wanted to do was take my stuff and go to the city and give it to homeless people. Now, I'd never had that thought before, trust me. That was not a reoccurring dream or something like that. But all of a sudden I had this thing where I wanted to go into the city. Now, I talked myself out of the tree a little bit because I was just this intense i have going to go and save homeless people. Like I need to, it was almost, but I, didn't, I don't, didn't find the language for what that meant at that time. I can now look back and realize that like Moses, you encounter God and he invites you into a story of deliverance. He invites you into a kingdom task. He invites you to go as he was sent, you sent. And I didn't realize that at the time, but I realize now that God was doing something in my heart. It had changed my life. I didn't realize. The kingdom had asked me to order my life around it now and not the world which I had been shaped and molded by the world and was living as though reality was my reality and that's the way the world is, and then God comes in and changes that story. It's kind of confronting. Have you had that in your life? Jesus challenges your story and then you confront it and you're like, what is this? It was pretty exciting. But I'm going to tell you something. My life didn't play out that story for very long. (laughs) I was delivered, set free, praise Jesus. But uh, how many of you know sometimes... We don't recognize the molding that has taken place in the world that we have to then begin in our journey to confront. I don't think we recognize that. The depth of the world's formation in us. I tried to go and live my life and I found myself being drawn slowly and subtly into the patterns of the world's thinking again. As I talk, I don't know if you can identify with that idea. It was so enthusiastic, so exciting. I was going to go and deliver homeless people in the city. And then not long after that, I was just back into the rhythms and the molding and the routines that are so subtle. Consumed by the patterns of the world, money, success, relationships. Work then became a vehicle to support my ideas of reality, and work sucked. <laughs> because I just went back to work to support my view of the world, which was money, success, truck, house, you know, the, the world... The world's path began to form and shape me again. And I think all of us have ideas about life, but it's been said what lies behind our our ideas is what we actually believe. Our belief is shaped and formed by so many things, which includes the world, includes your family upbringing, includes lots of things, right? And it shapes this story that you operate from. And then the ideas you have about life is just, well, that's the way it is. This is what it says. This is what we do. But behind everything we think and do and, and, and have ideas about is what we actually believe. And then what happens is God comes and challenges that story. That's what happened to me, I think, when I stepped into the kingdom story. Excitement, enthusiastic. And then God began to challenge the story I was coming from. And what happens in that place for us, if we're not humble and teachable, is that we can become disillusioned. you ever been disillusioned in your faith before? with church, with life, with Christianity, with God, name it. Have you ever felt disillusioned? Now, while I don't know the depths of the story for you, can I say something? Disillusionment happens when you have illusions that you need to be dissed of. Because all of us operate from a story. We don't test that very often in our life, though. That's the discipleship journey, guys, is that we all have a view of reality and what The world should be because you have a story that's been shaped and formed by you more often not not of God it's actually the world's beliefs a western culture a family upbringing whatever it is there's been things that have formed and molded you in Egypt and you just think that that's reality then God comes along and he begins to challenge isn't that what he did with the disciples time and time again hey boys where's your faith Faith wasn't a feeling. Faith was the fact that they were responding to the world based off their story, and Jesus was constantly challenging. them. One example was the multiplication of the bread. Disciples straight away just said, you want to feed all these people? We need a week's wages or whatever it is, I'm paraphrasing. Their instant response to the world was that we need to go and get a week's wages for you to do what you need to do, God. And Jesus was like, nah, I'm teaching you a new kingdom story here. I'm going to challenge you. And he constantly challenged the disciples on the story they came from. I say that to say that when we get disillusioned, it's often cause for reflection to recognize that we've been operating from a story, that's being tested, and then we have to be invited into a level of faith that is choosing to see God's reality, not your own. That's that's the wilderness journey for the Israelites, I think. Because they'd been formed, and now they're invited into a journey of faith and trust with God, which wasn't what they expected. Yeah, the promised land, yeah, God, that sounds great. I'm enthusiastic. Let's jump in there. But God's like, there's some patterns of thinking that need to come undone. You've been formed and molded by the world. I wanna teach you faith, you guys. And faith isn't a feeling. Faith is learning to respond to the world from my perspective. What happened in the wilderness, though? Did the disciples, oh, disciples, did the Israelites get disenchanted, do you think? A little disillusioned when that story got tested and they wanted to kill Moses at one point and at one point they even said, pah. We're going back to Egypt. Take us back now. Because at least there, we knew what we were going to eat. At least there, there was a routine. At least there, there was something that I could identify with and feel secure in. And God's saying, no, let's challenge that. Let's bring you out of that. Are you following me? That's part of that disillusionment that can come is that the world changes and forms and God is pulling us out of that into the kingdom story and we live in that tension, wilderness place where we're learning faith and trust but we so easily go back and that's what happened to me, certainly. And so I want to just share one story today. We're over halfway, you're doing well. I get excited about this stuff, I'm sorry, but I hope you're following along. because I feel like God wants to say something to us today. And it's gonna come through the word of Haggai, an Old Testament prophet. Who here has ever read Haggai? Put your hand up. A few of you have, yeah, right on. Probably not one that you go to every day for your morning devotion. Um, But like everything in the Bible, understanding its place and what's going on will help you recognize why it can speak to us and how we can then fold ourselves into that story and see what God wants to say. And so I want to talk about something that happened there and encourage us today, and I hope that it'll affect your work, but also hope that it is a framework for us to keep coming back to. Haggai tells the story of an exiled people, like we've been talking about, years later, like classic humanity, Um, Arnold Toynbee, I think it was, it said nations rise and fall based on their relationship to the glory of God. When Israel was at its best, it was worshiping God. The temple was the centerpiece, worship, life, restoration, community, health, hope. And as soon as they made idols of other things, they went away and they fell away from God. They would go into exile. They would be in a foreign land, which is exactly what happened. And you can read about that when you read about Daniel in the lion's den and some of those stories. We see that um, different nations had conquered The kingdoms, I won't go into all the history there, but what ended up happening, the end result was Israel found themselves in exile again. Found themselves away from God again. Even though they'd been on a miraculous journey, they find themselves away from God again. Long story short, the new king of Persia says, you guys can go back home and rebuild your identity. So Nehemiah tells the story of the walls being built and then we come to Ezra and Haggai. Ezra begins by telling us that they came back and one of the first tasks was to establish restoration again in the community. To bring restoration, which was through the temple worship, which was their identity, to bring God back at the center again. So they come back. Ezra 3 tells us that the builders laid the foundation of the temple. The priests in their vestments, their trumpets, the Levites with cymbals, took their places to praise God as prescribed by King David of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So we hear this, come back to this exile story of a nation of people who are living in exile, they get set free and they get to come back and their primary focus is to live the kingdom story in our language. It wasn't to just come and live their own lives and do their own thing, but it was coming out of the world and the first priority was the fact that the kingdom would be established through the temple in the Old Testament language, which was the place of God's justice, righteousness, which ultimately result in restoration this restoration of who they were as God's people through the temple, and they start the work. It's really exciting. They even start singing praises. He's loving to us forever. Praise God. We lay a foundation. We're, we're enthusiastic. This is, this is me waking up and saying, I'm gonna go and bring stuff to the homeless people. I'm so excited to live for God. But over a bit of time, things changed. There was also a lament from some of the older people Now, this is not an attack on older people in the church. But there's a really interesting thing that takes place here. After they were singing and praising, the Bible goes on to tell us that many of the older priests, Levites, family heads, who had seen the former temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being built. While many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from weeping, because the people made so much noise. There's a loud noise. Everyone's excited. But at the same time, while this new thing that God was doing in the temple, bringing restoration through his temple, and the people were finding their place, there was a group of people who stood on the outside and all they could remember was the old temple. All they could remember, what it used to look like and what used to take place and how they used to do things. And they began to lament and cry. They began to be discouraged and disillusioned. God was showing them what needed to happen and they were thinking back to the old ways it was a genuine sense of loss and sadness they had a picture a story of what the temple used to be and now God was doing something in their midst something beautiful something restorative something amazing and all they could think about was the old story the old way the old things that were taking place and they got discouraged And all of a sudden, the nations around Jerusalem began to get powerful and bring discouragement. And the entire nation of God's people just began to subtly go back to the forming and shaping that the world had done in their life. And we discover when we get to Haggai that for 16 years, the work was ceased. Now, I'm not talking about this in context of a physical building. I'm talking about the people of God who were so enthusiastic because of their deliverance. Who were so excited to order their life around the kingdom of God, and order their life around the community of God's people, which in would bring restoration to the community. They got disillusioned. They got discouraged, and the result of that was a slow and subtle shift away from the kingdom story back to their own lives. And then Haggai comes. And Haggai brings this word 16 years later to this people. And he says this, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled homes while this house remains in ruin? Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much. harvested little you eat but you never have enough you drink but you never have your fill you put on clothes and you're not warm you earn wages see if you can identify with this one only to put them in purse with holes in it you ever felt like that in your life (laughs) here's the point i hope you're connecting the dots An exile people excited enthusiastic to bring deliverance their story gets tested they get discouraged and disillusioned and they just go back to their worldly lives And the result in this context is that they just began to build their own stories, build their own homes, build their own lives for 16 years. And then finally, God comes by way of encouragement, by the way. Haggai is a very encouraging book. Brings encouragement through the word of Haggai saying, guys, I'm going to give you some answers to why you as God's people are feeling so frustrated. Why you work and work and work and you have purses with holes in them why you eat and you never feel full, why you are living your life in a certain way and you do not feel satisfied and you don't have enough. He brings an answer to the the wrestle that they were facing in their disillusionment. He says, it's possibly because you have lost sight of the kingdom story in your life. You've lost sight of what it means to be God's people in community, bringing restoration to the world and being image bearers of God. Instead, you go back to your subtle ways of formation in the world, and here it looks like building your own thing. Remember, they'd come out of slavery and probably didn't have much, and now they're focused on their own part of the story in the community and not the, commun- not the communal story. And he says, give careful thought to your ways, guys. Go, bring timber, so that I might be pleasure- take pleasure and be honored. You expected much, but it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away declares the Lord because of my house it remains a ruin each of you is busy with your own house therefore because you have the heavens have withheld the dew on the earth and the crops I call for a drought on the fields on the mountains the grain the new wine the olive oil everything that represented success in their life was limited and held back because the people had went went back to their subtle ways And so the people actually repent and they begin to do the work. And it's amazing because they did give thought to their ways. And one of the ways that uh, Haggai challenges them... We're getting close to the end here, guys. I've got one more page. You're doing well. One of the ways that Haggai challenges them, because the temple had laid in ruins for so long, he uses this analogy of the priest and consecration. You can read it. But what happened was the people... (laughs) Rather than focusing on the communal kingdom story in which everyone works together to bring a reflection of God's goodness, justice, and righteousness to the world, they were walking up to the rubble and rubbing themselves against it and going home. Because they knew they had to go to church, you know what I mean? but it wasn't a kingdom story. So what they were doing in order to please God and be right with God, they just showed up and rubbed their arm against the temple and went home. And Haggai brings a rebuke about saying, does that actually, do you think that makes you holy? Like, do you actually think that just showing up to the temple and rubbing against it actually sets you apart as God's people? It's not, it's actually his presence amongst the community of believers that reflects the image of God to the world. And he brings a rebuke to that. I thought that was kind of funny. No one else laughed. <laughs> for Haggai's audience, it was a move toward a physical home which represented their comfort, their stability, their own story. But for us in our culture, I think, you know, we're sure we can identify with that. We're shaped and formed in subtle ways that we think we need, uh, in, in things that we think we need or that we the way that we think things should be. And we do things like I mean, I don't know, you can identify in your own life what you can do, but what happened here was that people said, I'm not seeing the broader story of God's kingdom here and us together in establishing this work. Instead, we step away and we do things like withhold tithe. We stop contributing to what God's doing. We we neglect meeting together in people's homes and breaking bread and doing life together. We neglect showing up and, 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 and bringing our gifts and talents and abilities because there is a subtle formation in our culture that says it's all about you. That's, that's, that's the Western cultural shaping in our life. And what it is, is consumerism. And what consumerism does is it means that we lament what used to be and we're not willing to see what God's doing now. And we say, well, we want this and we need this as people because that's, that, that's the world. That's Egypt. That's Egypt. And that's what these people were doing. They began to see their own comfort and stability as primary and thought that rubbing against the temple was okay and neglected the work of God. Because it's actually in the community of God's people that God is glorified to the world. And we know in the New Testament, the temple of God is not a building, it's actually you and me. It's you and me as God's temple, as his place of dwelling. When he breathes the Holy Spirit, you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And bit by bit, Ephesians says, we're being built into the head, into this mighty temple of God as his people. And we reflect God. We reflect God's justice and righteousness, which in the New Testament is interchangeable. Did you know that? We think justice is bringing (coughs) retribution. But justice is actually about deliverance from oppression into community, into wholeness. And restoration comes when justice and righteousness are expressed through God's temple to the world. How many of you know that brings restoration to a broken, devastated land? That's God's people. But the devil and the world shapes us in so many ways that when we get tested, we, get, we just get disillusioned and walk away from it. We walk away from the story. We walk away from everything. And we find our place in the world and Haggai is saying, guys, it's, it's probably time that we recognize the way that world is shaping you as an exiled people. You've been set free. You've been delivered into a new story. And he says, the reason you feel so frustrated is because you're seeing the world through your own story, not through God's eyes. Jesus calls that a lack of faith, actually. Because faith isn't a feeling or a currency that you just have to sort of purchase things off God. But faith is actually the ability to recognize you operate from a formation story, but God is forming you in a new kingdom story. And faith is learning to trust that. So Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good Pleasing and perfect will. Our focus becomes the kingdom and the restoration of God's garden, Eden, in which we see that God had placed man and woman in a beautiful garden. And the word garden isn't a jungle, a a garden is a place of beauty, abundance, and bounty. And, And God, out of His goodness, places us to be an image mirror. That reflects God back, the creation of God to Him, that He can be pleased in His beautiful creation, whom He loves, and a reflection of that mirror into the world. And He places us in a garden and says, Now go as image bearers and be fruitful and multiply and tend and bring beauty and abundance. And now Jesus places us in that same story through the power of His deliverance. And the Bible says, You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And as new creations, now we get placed in a garden. We get placed in an environment. We get placed in a workplace. We get placed all around to be the people of God who bring beauty, abundance, and we tend to the garden that God has given us. But We can't do it alone. So when we feel disillusion and disconnect, I think it's a kind of a call. This is why I said it's a bit of a framework. I know it's not specifically about work, but that this is this undergirding sense that church, God is for you and not against you. He rescued you by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ out of bondage to sin and death into a deliverance story. And then Jesus gives you his Holy Spirit, gives you his presence and says, now go and bring my presence. Go and be an image bearer in the garden that I place you in. And in that, your worth comes from not what you do, but who you are and who you are will affect what you do. So be an image bearer of God. I'll conclude with this part of Haggai As a reminder of the future glory. Haggai says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And what is desired by nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord God Almighty. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Jesus' words are, Church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We are in the kingdom deliverance story and God has placed us for such a time as this in this congregation, in this unique location, to be image bearers of God. And so we have the breath of God that has now made us alive with resurrection power. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And now church, my encouragement to us is that we would go. We would go into every sphere because God cares about all of your life, not just what you do today, but tomorrow as you go, as we wrestle in life and we wrestle with the stuff and we learn trust and we learn patience. If you start getting disillusioned, ask God, God, what are you challenging in my story that you need to change? If you could do that, I'm gonna tell you, if you're a teachable people, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal your land. So can we pray? Let's pray together as we conclude this overview. (laughs) it has been a lot coming at you today. But now you're invited into this deliverance story to go and be God's image bearer and to go and do the work that God's called you to do. And then it gives, makes sense that why you come on Sundays to come back together and be encouraged, to be with God's people and realize you're not alone. But I want to pray right now, first and foremost, for all of you who would call yourself Christian, <laughs> everyone here who is um, you made a decision to follow Jesus, you've stepped into the deliverance story, maybe parts of today's message, you can identify with that feeling of being disillusioned. You're in good company because I feel it too. And the disciples themselves were confronted by Jesus quite often. And you're not alone in that because it's true. You've been shaped and formed by things that you're not even aware of. And uh, I reckon today there's a sense of like, can can we learn to say no to some of those things and allow Jesus to come and show us our story? And so I wanted to ask you this question, Christian, as we take this journey of looking at you know God at work and bringing God's image into our workplace and our lives, can I ask, are you willing today, you might not know what it looks like, but are you willing to let Jesus challenge your story? Are you willing to ask God to come and change your slave story and participate in this whole life worship together in His community? Are you willing in your heart to make that choice to say, God, I'm willing to move out of that slave thinking, show me. And I'm also willing, God, to be a part of the restoration of God's community together so that we might be a light to this world. If that's you, would you just raise your hand, Christian? If you're willing today in your heart, don't do it out of compulsion, doing it out of a willingness to say to God, I want to be a part of what God's doing. And for those that are here today, maybe um, you heard my story today. There was a time where I was away from God pretty clearly. (laughs) And then I heard a preacher just blabber on for ages. No idea what he was talking about. But then somehow God's Spirit came and touched my heart and I gave my hand to Him. And I just said, yeah, God, I'm willing. No idea what it looks like. took a little while to find my feet. (laughs) I won't lie. (laughs) I went back to slavery quite often. But God's merciful and good in that. Being set free from exile is a sign of forgiveness. And uh, I want you to know that you can be forgiven today in terms of brought out of that place that you're struggling in right now, where you're frustrated, you've been away from God, or you don't know God. And you're saying today, I need deliverance into a new story in the community of believers, recognizing that Jesus' death on the cross and His blood not only took the place of our sin, but also brought us out of bondage to that sin and death and set you free it's all good news you guys and maybe if there's just one or two of you or more today that are just saying i've never done that before you you want me to pray with you today and you want god's deliverance in your life if that's you raise your hand today. if you want god's deliverance for your life to step into a new story new hope and be set free from the things that entangle you if that's you today god's hearts for you I'll just get you to raise your hand if that's you today so we can pray with you. Awesome. That's courage. Well done. That's courageous because you just said no to the world for the first time. You said yes to Jesus and that yes is going to become more and more of a thing that you can do. And no to the world. Is there anyone else who wants to join this lady in saying yes, God set me free. Bring me out of my captivity into whole life. Well, God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the power of your deliverance. And uh, God, we're contextual beings, so we 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 bring you down to our level so often. But Lord, we just remember that you are a God who is loosed from all limitations. You are bigger than time and space. You're absolute. And and God, we don't share in your characteristics, for we are finite beings. But yet, you choose out of your goodness to reveal yourself to us through your word. And so however you've revealed yourself to us today, God, we thank you and we ask by your power of your Holy Spirit that you will show us the way of life this week. Bless your church. Bless this lady who has said yes to you for the first time. May you comfort her. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you come upon her? And would you lead her to wholeness and health and healing and learn faith and trust in a God who sees and knows all things? We bless her today in the name of Jesus. We thank you for this church. Help us to walk in victory this week. And we ask your blessing upon us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, church, now that you've sat and heard, I want you to stand as a sign of faith that you're ready to go back into the world. Because as you stand now, you now stand on uh, the foundation of Christ, ready to walk out back into the tasks that God has for you. And we invite you just into this simple prayer. And it's simple as this. So I'm gonna say it now and then you can repeat after me, but it's gonna be, Father, bless us as we go. Jesus walk beside us, Holy Spirit guide us. And now that you stand, you're ready for the work, ready for the task. You've heard, you've listened, you've been encouraged, now you go. And I, I, I commission you to go into the world, make disciples of all the nations, bring the power of God's presence and His Spirit into everywhere you go. And may He heal the brokenhearted and recover sight to the blind. And I pray that um, you under the anointing of the Holy Spirit would bring God's power and presence to everywhere you go, including your workplace. So let's pray together. Father, bless us as we go. Jesus, walk beside us. Holy Spirit, guide us. Amen.